0: Welcome to the MBP, the Micah Brown Podcast, where I have the privilege of connecting you, my listeners, my audience, my friends, with interesting people in an intentional way. I do that through two facets. One is I I know that right now we, we tend to miss out on the relational aspect of being fellow human beings. A lot of times we'll address other people based on the statistics that they're mentioning or the facts that they're mentioning and miss the whole point is that we're two human beings interacting. So the way I approach that is through connecting with my guests, first in a personal way. What obstacles have they overcome? What is their background like? What's their family like? What personal things are they engaged in right now so that you can better connect with them, relate with them, and understand where they're coming from? Maybe you have something in common. Who knows? We won't know until we ask, right? And then the second aspect of that is by getting into what interesting things are they doing. That could be in their professional life. That could be in something that they're just involved with outside of their Typical 9-to-5 job. Um, it could be any number of things. Maybe it's just something on the public stage. Nonetheless, those are the two sides of the same coin that make up a person, and I want to get into knowing more about each side of uh, that, that person that I get to have on the show, get to interview. I really appreciate you listening right now. Make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any great interviews that I have upcoming. And in addition to that, I want to thank you for supporting the podcast. If you want to continue to do so, you can... I'm going to have other ways coming up soon, but for now, by getting your free trial through audibletrial.com forward slash MBP, not only will you be supporting the podcast, but that gives you an easy opportunity to look up some of the books that we've mentioned on previous episodes, maybe some of the guests have mentioned, and listen to those for free for 30 days. I would strongly recommend you keep it because it's actually a really great resource to have. Um, Anytime that you're driving or just doing something, maybe lawn care outside of your own home, who knows what it is. But it's a great resource to have. So again, audibletrial.com forward slash MVP. And anytime you sign up for a free new account, that will support the podcast. So I thank you in advance for that. Finally, to some very specific people who have supported this podcast already, First, to Alvin Brown, who has helped set up this podcast, get it off the ground, get it going, and continues to support me behind the scenes. Second would be to the man, the myth, the legend who has created our music that we now use on this show, Isaiah Cruz. Phenomenal musician, even more phenomenal human being. And last but not least, I want to thank you to the sponsorship that Thelma's Treats has offered to the Micah Brown podcast. Guys, listen, here's the thing. Here's how this went down. I saw an ice cream sandwich, and I thought that looks very delicious, and it's super hot here in Austin, Texas. So, what did I do? Like a normal, sane human being, I bought the ice cream sandwich, ate it before I even made it to my car. I thought, that's amazing. I need more of that in my life. Reached out to Thelma's and just said, hey, y'all make a fantastic product. I want more, is there anything I can do to help you guys out? They said, just get the word out. I can't tell you how easy it is for me to tell you about Thelma's Treats. If you need a good ice cream sandwich, if your kids need a good good ice cream sandwich, if it's way too hot outside and you just need something to put a smile on your face, get yourself an ice cream sandwich. Treat yourself, as they say on Parks and Rec. That's all I got. Enjoy. Andre Duda was born and raised in Bucharest, Romania. After the fall of communism, while still a teenager, Andre came to America with $50 in his pocket and a big dream in his heart. An entrepreneurial spirit, Andre is involved in for-profit and non-profit ventures, covering areas such as technology, energy, real estate, and social enterprise. Andre is the founder and chairman of His Little Ones, which is a non-profit organization that supports abandoned and orphaned children in Bucharest, Romania. He received his PhD from Texas A&M. Gigam with his research focus on governance dynamics, dialectics, and leadership succession. Andre taught organizational behavior, leadership, and mediation at Pepperdine University and also served as entrepreneur in residence for the Jeffrey H. Palmer Center for Entrepreneurship and the Law. Andre channels his energy at the intersection of philanthropy and the marketplace. He previously served as vice president of West Walters Realty, Inc., and now has his own business, Focusing on mergers and acquisitions, real estate investment, and real estate development. Also, Andre is a strategic advisor to owners/slash CEOs of small to medium-sized businesses in the following industries: aftermarket, automotive, industrial, paint manufacturing, real estate, energy, and technology. So he's only got you know just a couple things going on. Success in the marketplace provides a platform for Andre's phil- philanthropic. That's a fun word to say initiatives, including a prison ministry microfinance program in Austin, Texas, called Live Oak Microfinance Program. He views success in the marketplace not as an end in itself, but as a means to changing the world for the better. A higher purpose in business positively impacts not just processes, products, and profits, but also people. With that being said, please welcome my guest, Andre Duda. Andre, thank you so much for being on the Microbound podcast today. How are you?
1: Doing well, Mike. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to spend the uh, next hour together. I'm doing well. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And it's always my pleasure talking to you. You always have such a, a, a calm demeanor, which brings me down a little bit when I've been dealing with children and dogs all day. So <laughs> I appreciate you being on the podcast for that reason. Uh, give me a little cool, cool down time. But yeah,
1: it's, a, it's my honor. Thank you.
0: I'm excited to, to dive into things, uh, something you and I even uh, talked about briefly before was that every person has two sides to them. They frequently intermingle, but uh, the professional side and then the personal side. And on this show, we always like to start with the personal side because people can relate to a person. It's kind of tough to relate to a position unless you've been in that. So in today's day and age when we're all about social media and there's a little bit more disconnect and distance between human beings, I want to kind of make that a little bit more real. So with that being said, I'd love for you to just start with a a blank piece of paper. What's your background? You can dive into as many specifics or not as you want to, but it's your story. We'd love to hear uh, just some of your background.
1: Absolutely, Micah. Now um, that's, that's interesting and um, uh, and, and I, I can see how for many people there is a distinction between their, their personal and their professional lives uh, but um, I don't see that for myself uh, and I know earlier before we started this interview you made the comment that um, there's Andre the entrepreneur and Andre but would like to learn first about Andre from a personal standpoint um, my entrepreneurship spirit, uh, it's actually what leads me to operate as an entrepreneur in the marketplace. So uh, once again, there's, there's that uh, that complete um, uh, congruency and balance and uh, that uh, merging of, of personal and professional. I cannot uh, distinguish the two personally. If some people People do, and I think in the Western world, I think people segmentize personal and professional life. Uh, but the the reality is that uh, um, it's you know that's a more artificial, contrived way of you know of, of living and operating. So uh, my entrepreneurial energies, um, in a from a personal standpoint, uh, inform my my professional career. So, but I, but I, I I do hear you, and uh, and we will focus on my or start focusing on my background and quote-unquote personal story and then we can transition to the professional (laughs) well
0: i appreciate you kind of clarifying clarifying all of that because it's you're right in the western world it it is uh bifurcated it's two different personalities and and somebody once told me that um we all deal with multiple personality disorder we just don't call it that you know there's Mm. There's, uh, especially in the Western world, there's me as Micah Brown, the individual. There's me as Micah, the husband, Micah, the dad, mm. Micah, the friend, Micah, the son. Um, and so there's, there's definitely that, that split personality, but I think the healthy way of living, uh, is what you're doing where there it's all congruent. It's all mixed together. It's just Andre. Exactly. And, and you're involved in different things, but you're just, you're still Andre.
1: Exactly. And and one uh, aspect informs the other, and it all goes back to, to our identity and, and who we are down deep into our hearts. As a matter of fact, earlier, we, you know, when we were engaging in an informal conversation, we we're, were talking about pursuing your heart's desires and being true to your heart and living courageously out of your heart. Um, so, um, that's right. Um, I think as as Christians, we're called to be congruous in all uh, of uh, in, in all of all of the different aspects of our lives, and and for everything to to be informed by our faith, by our heart, and our identity as as God's children. So
0: wonderful. Well, I'd love for you to share uh, a little bit of your background where you where you started <laughs> in the world geographically, and then how you ended up <laughs> here in Austin, Texas. The whole span. Well, I
1: guess you would say,
0: <laughs>
1: I guess I started about 6,000 miles east of Austin. In it's Bicarest, a quick drive. <laughs> <Romania>. <laughs> I guess by Texas standards, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, by, by Texas standards, that's a trip to the grocery store.
1: <laughs> so I was born in uh, Bucharest, Romania, and uh, that's where I uh, spent my uh, childhood years, uh, Grew up in former communist Romania, and um, um, I um, actually, uh, by God's grace, I was um, uh, introduced uh, to faith uh, through uh, my grandparents, uh, just witnessing their piety and uh, their humble. Um, lives and their humble spirits and uh, their devotion to God during communism, the former dictator banned uh, religion and expression of faith in public places, so people um, had to uh, to find ways to um, to express their faith in private and in uh, um, in the intimate family circles um, and uh, yeah growing up um, in Communist Romania, a place of uh, at the time a place of great scarcity and fear, Um, was challenging. uh, But once again, by God's grace, um, I was able to uh, to have and to form a connection with uh, with God uh, through um, to my grandparents. Um, Also, uh, something that's um, worth noting that during that time there were brave courageous, uh, intrepid uh, missionaries from the U.S. who would uh, smuggle Bibles uh, in Romania behind the Iron Curtain. And uh, I got my first Bible when I was a teenager from a Baptist missionary from, from the U.S. who smuggled a truckload of Bibles translated in, in Romanian And he was passing them on on a train, and my mother got one. The missionary told her through a translator, hey, it's a good book, you should read it. So my mother came home later that day and gave it to me and said, hey, I got this from an American missionary. He said, it's a good book, you should read it. (laughs) And and I started reading it.
0: The most Um, simple sales pitch right there. (laughs) It's a good book, uh, check it out. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. It's a good book, you should read it.
1: (laughs) So I... uh, I started reading the Bible when I was a teenager, and I started in Genesis. I was really impressed and um, was in awe at uh, God's creative power, and um, it really captured my heart, my imagination, and and inspired me. Where God spoke the word into creation and said, "Let there be light," and boom, there was light. I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! This is fascinating! I love it!" And kept reading, and eventually, I got into the Book of Leviticus, and I got stuck. <laughs>
0: I was about to say, that's the quicksand book. <laughs> you get bogged down <laughs> real fast. Well, I have a
1: better sense of appreciation and uh, and uh, understanding now, but at the time, uh, that was too dense for me, so I actually put the, the book aside. And, uh, and uh, it was a few years later, after the fall of communism, when the country opened up and missionaries from the U.S. were actually flowing in openly the borders now were porous and people were able to come and go and missionaries were were uh, were pouring in and uh, and once again my mother uh, played a key role in my faith uh, journey uh, and my faith narrative she Came home one day, and she said, "There is a group of missionaries from Texas, and they are teaching English using the Bible as a tool. You already started started reading the Bible a few years ago. Why don't you learn a, a language, a new language, in the process?" So, um, in the early '90s, I. Um, Uh, enrolled in this uh, program with those missionaries. At first, they actually didn't accept, my sister and I, we both uh, applied, and at first they didn't accept us, they rejected us, because we didn't speak any English. And the missionaries didn't speak any Romanian. They said, you've got to have basic conversational skills and uh, to be able to engage in... In some discursive exchanges with, with those missionaries, and um, they don't speak Romanian, they speak English, so I'm sorry we can't accept you in the program, you need to have some basic skills. And through translators, we said, listen, no, we are going to make this work. Uh, uh, we, we have a tenacious spirit, we will persevere, somehow we will make it work. And uh, I guess those missionaries, they, they were impressed with our chutzpah and our perseverant, tenacious spirits, and they said, okay, well, let's let's try to make it happen. They paired us up with some missionaries who spoke French. My sister and I both speak French. And, uh, uh, Mike, I tell you, it was a, it was a fascinating four weeks. We uh, engaged in meta-level communication, Romanian-French, French-English, English-French, French-Romanian, back and forth. Wow. Uh, then at <laughs> night, we would come home, <laughs> We'd come home, my sister and I would just labor over the dictionary and the Bible, Romanian and English. And by God's grace, four weeks later, we spoke English. And uh, two weeks after that, um, we uh, made a formal expression of our faith and our commitment to Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we were baptized um, in the early 90s in, uh, in a swimming pool at the high school in former communist uh, Romania, in Bucharest City in Romania. And... Um, wow. It was a significant year um, and milestone for for myself, for my sister, and then for my parents. We we brought parents to church, and uh, a few months later, they were baptized and they made a commitment to Christ and and Lordship uh, of of our Lord and Savior.
0: That's incredible. Do, um, how. With your background i 'm just curious this is an, this is not a premeditated question i 'm just listening to what you you 're talking about How much did your experience with communism impact your drive towards you know what was what you read in the Bible, the community you found with the missionaries um, the things that they spoke about was there kind of a push factor from communism and in, in the experience that you had grown up with so, thus far? And then was there a pull factor towards the Christian community and, and what the missionaries were talking to you about? Absolutely.
1: I think the best way to describe this, try to imagine a monochromatic world. So prior to, to the fall of communism, the the world Seemed, yeah, at the time I didn't fully realize that. Okay, so I need to explain this. But afterwards, when you look back, you say, oh my goodness, you know, I can see the difference. So the world seemed monochromatic, right? And and the sound was flat. And now, all of a sudden, um, with faith bubbling inside of me and just growing and, and exploding and expressing itself, now the world becomes uh, polycollar uh multi-color and uh, and surround sound systems you know where you know sim you know the the sound is not flat or or metallic or shallow now you have this this beautiful richness and depth of sound and color so that's i guess that's the the best metaphor to to to, to describe that transition from communism to to freedom and, and you know what's interesting is not is not just freedom politically but especially and mainly freedom in christ right so faith was growing and those the seeds were planted i I mentioned through uh, by god's grace through witnessing my grandparents and the way they were leading their lives in uh, the spirit of piety and humility and and grace and and then the, the seeds just were germinating you know for years and then boom the right soil the combination of Sunlight, S O N, sunlight, (laughs) and the light of the sun, right? And uh, easy
0: metaphor, yeah,
1: (laughs) right, easy metaphor there. Um, everything just bursted into life, and um, yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that um, I think it's worth mentioning is that growing up during communism, I did know about the reality of, or or somewhat, where I would out here. Um, little bits of discourse about the reality of life on the other side of the Iron Curtain. My grandfather, my mom's uh, dad, um, he was in the, he had the the habit, or he was part of his bedtime ritual to actually listen to Radio Free Europe and Voice of America. Those are two radio programs sponsored by the U.S. Congress and broadcasting from Munich, Germany, in the satellite, um, in the uh, uh, in the languages of the S- Soviet Union satellite countries, Romanian, wow. uh, Polish, Hungarian, you know, Russian, of course, and, uh, Czech and all those things. So, so there was a Romanian version of Europe, uh, radio free Europe and voice of America. And my grandfather, um, every night, uh, um, and, and I will know this because during the summertime when, when school is out, my sister and I would spend our, our vacation time, our summer, um, uh, um, days um, with with him and staying with him for two or three months at his uh, home um, up in the foothills of the Carpathian Mountains in Trugoviste, uh a city about uh, an hour and a half from north of Bucharest. And uh, we'd get to see grandpa every night, pull out his radio and draw the telescopic shiny an- antenna and then meticulously and patiently fine-tune the radio to capture the wavelengths of radio wavelengths of um, voice of america and radio free europe Um, and it was a very kinetic it was a very dynamic process because the communists they planted those uh, uh, radio towers to interfere and to block those transmissions so the the sound would go in and out of, you know. I don't. I'm not an engineer here, but I think you know what I'm. I'm talking about. where yeah. You would have to constantly play with the dial to fine tune and to recapture the the last signal. So it's a very interesting. It was it was fun to watch Grandpa engage in the radio and and constantly adjust the dial to to find the right frequency as the sound would come in and out. To, to be able to listen to the program and and learn about what is happening uh, in Western Europe and uh, the United States of America and um, and you know I uh, I think that former uh, President Reagan uh, may he, may he rest in peace I think he had more fans and more supporters in Eastern Europe and maybe maybe in the U.S. Wow. Uh, there were, People praying and rooting for him as uh, he was uh, taking a stand against um, um, USSR and communism. Uh, I remember him sp- telling um, President Gorbachev, Gorbachev, yes, yes, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And uh, and then learning about uh, Gorbachev and his... Uh, uh, policies of perestroika and glasnost uh, communism and human face and transparency, and then the solidarity movement in Poland and with uh, um, Valenza and all those uh, um, the winds of change just sweeping the land of eastern europe and and russia and of course the um, the historical day. Let's see, here was uh, November 11th, or November uh, 9th, 1989, when uh, the Germans got on the streets in Berlin and they tore down the Berlin Wall. And then uh, domino pieces set in motion and communism regimes collapsing left and right in Hungary and Czechoslovakia and Poland and uh, and finally, Romania, that was the, the last bastion of communism in Eastern Europe. Uh, former dictator Nicolae Ceausescu, he just uh, clutched yeah. onto power. And yeah, it took a bloody revolution to uh, uh, topple his regime yeah, in 1989, December. So, so it was very interesting to actually live and to see and witness uh, history unfolding before our very eyes.
0: Yeah, uh, two things. One less important than the other. Uh, I was only seven months old when that wall came down. But uh, the other piece of that is that um, it, it, it may not have been apparent then. You, I don't know if you would have even framed it this way, but it, it sounds like your grandpa was kind of staging his own miniature rebellion by even trying to get that radio signal in his home. That it was kind of that small act of like, you may try to block it, but i 'm going to listen to it anyway and I personally find that pretty amazing
1: that 's beautiful and um, i um, I agree with you uh, absolutely it was illegal. Um, the government banned people to from listening to Radio Free Europe and Voice of America they did their best to mechanically stop that by building those uh, radio towers and interfering with uh, with those transmissions, with those broadcasts. Um, but um, you're right, there were, there were people uh, neighbors uh, who would inform on their neighbors and turn them in for listening to those uh, programs. Oh, yeah. It was, um, well, that, that's how communism um, um, operates. It's Helps a system it grasp, of fear. Yeah yeah it 's fear it 's a fear based system and, and and you know it 's interesting we're having this conversation and and we um i i know you send me a couple of questions but we don 't rehearse this we don't uh this is an organic um, interview here, so it's a
0: normal uh, human uh, conversation it's, that's it's being a, recorded. That's right.
1: <laughs> that's right. It's just a, that's right, and and we're just opening our hearts and we're just flowing. So so it's so it's interesting to see how this how this is shaping up here. <laughs> um, but but this is this is really interesting that my life journey and faith journey and those early uh, days and weeks and months and years. Um, my, my, my faith journey parallels the transition from communism to democracy, um, but, but that, that transition from communism to democracy, from centralized market system to, to capitalism, and from, from a place of scarcity to a place of, of abundance and possibilities, it's, it's really just the surface because the, the thing that truly matters ultimately is that internal sense of peace and shalom, right? To use the, the Hebrew word for it has richer um, meaning and, and greater depth than, than just the English translation, peace. Shalom in the sense of not just peace, but wholeness and completeness and fulfillment and health and well-being and... Um, prosperity of the soul, and the mind, and the body, and the heart. Um, so, um, so, yes, what was happening at the surface level, um, in a way, was paralleling the, the more significant transformations happening at the uh, inner level, the subterranean, the, the heart level. So... That's great. Um, yeah, that's it's yeah, kind of yeah. like
0: your you're, like you're saying your transition was um, metaphorically paralleled to what was transitioning in Romania and the USSR as a whole. That's incredible. How did in you?
1: This, in Eastern Europe. That's right. Yeah. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how did you to kind of uh, bridge the gap here or bridge the ocean? I guess. How did you make mm-hmm. your way to America? And what did that look like for you? I know there's a, a key little factor here that I don't want to give away, but um, what did you bring with you to America and how did you get here?
1: I'll tell you what. Um, I, I brought several things to the U.S. when I came. And one of the things uh, that I'll highlight to, to uh, strengthen this transition here is my grandfather's Bible. And uh, and I'll tell you, I told you how I got my first Bible from my mother uh, a couple of years before the fall of communism. From a train, uh, she got it from this Baptist yeah. missionary on a train. Yeah, on a train from from Bucharest to Targoviste. Um, so she was going to visiting her father, my grandfather. Yeah, he passed away a few years ago. May he rest in peace, and uh, may God bless his wonderful memory and his legacy that's alive in in, in my heart. Um, so. Um, i want to tell you how if I may how my grandfather got his first bible
0: i mean if that if that offers some insight to the the meaning f- for you behind having that Bible, then by all means we 'd love to be in that journey with you
1: absolutely it's um, it 's central yes, so I told you I met those missionaries after the fall of communism in the early nineties I think this was ninety one or so and uh, we were uh, uh, we we made a commitment to faith. We in four weeks, by God's grace, we learned English. We're able to not just communicate with the missionaries, but now we're translating for the missionaries, and uh, we're engaging in the in uh, helping with the worship services at church. This uh, Romanian American uh, startup church in Bucharest, and um, when I shared with the missionaries my grandfather's story. Uh, they said, we must meet this legendary man. So the story that I shared with with the missionaries is, is um, it's part of it I, I just shared with you, is the story of my grandfather um, uh, listening to Radio Free uh, Europe and Voice of America. And also I mentioned to them that uh, during World War II, my grandfather was a young man and, um, and, and, uh, together with millions of Romanians and millions of people in Eastern Europe, he prayed and hoped that the Americans would come in uh, Eastern Europe and um, uh, help destroy the, the Nazis. Um, now, we know that um, that's not what happened. We know right. June 6, 1944, D-Day, uh, the Americans uh, landed in Normandy, and uh, that was the result of a pact between Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin, where they decided to divide Europe in spheres of influence. And they they said, well, the U.S. and the Allied forces will come from, from the West, and the Russians will come from the East, and we will uh, crush the Nazi war machine in the middle. Uh, and that worked, and there are a lot of sacrifices on all fronts. Uh, heroic sacrifices but unfortunately what that allowed is for for the russians to um, put the communism to spread into romania and eastern europe so grandfather um, together with millions of people in romania were praying and hoping that the americans would come now they didn't in 1944 but they continued now fewer romanians and uh, less people than before continued to pray as communism was spreading in eastern europe But my grandfather persevered Uh, and uh, and i remember hearing him talk about the americans and the americans will someday come and uh, this was year after year decade after decade my grandfather persevered and he prayed his marathon-like prayer that americans will someday come and bring freedom and democracy and um, when the missionaries heard this they said man we would be honored to meet your grandfather And I am moved to tears just uh, recollecting and remembering that day in March 1991 when I called Grandpa, where I called him a few days or a day before I said, Grandpa, I want to bring some special guests who want to meet you. They're coming from the United States of America. (laughs) My grandfather was in his 70s, 80s at the time, and and, uh, he said, bring them. Y'all you know, come over. And uh, this was a cold winter day. It was in uh, early March, 1991. Um, I came with the missionaries on a train, same train that my mother was on, uh, probably the same, the same route from Bikrast to Turgovich Day when she, when she got uh, my first Bible. And how the missionaries were coming with a special gift from my grandfather. And uh, grandpa got up early that morning, in a cold winter morning. He took the shovel and cleared up a path from the gate to the porch, to the patio. And uh, he was waiting. He was standing on the patio when we we walked from the train station. We could see him. We opened the gate and we walked through that uh, path in the snow to the patio. We climbed up the stairs there to his patio. And uh, in that cold winter morning, the missionaries gave my grandfather his first Bible translated in Romanian a Bible uh, that uh, uh, they uh, printed out in a printing press in Vienna and they would translate those Bibles in Romanian and other languages of uh, Eastern European countries. And my grandfather grabbed the Bible humbly, brought it close to his chest while tears were rolling down his wrinkled face. And, uh, he reached out his hand grabbed their hands and kissed the missionaries hands and he said thank you the americans finally came (laughs) wow yeah
0: and if i'm doing my math correct that's 40 plus years that he had been praying for that
1: yes that's right, yeah, about 45, yeah, 40, 44, 80, this 91, so, yes, almost 50 years. I call it the, his 50-year uh, marathon prayer, yeah. I guess the war started in 1940, uh, 1939, yeah, yeah, 1989, Man. so 50 years, 50-year 50 prayer. I don't think there's yeah.
0: many people that do something for 50 years with just hope to cling to. That's incredible.
1: It is incredible, and it's um, and it's central. I I I told you, it's uh, central to to my my faith journey to to see his perseverance and his tenacious spirit, and his prayer answered and it was not answered the way he envisioned it, but it was better. Um, his his picture, his mental picture, was one of uh, airplanes um rushing to the horizon and uh dropping their bombs on on those german outposts when germany took over romania in uh, 19 i think 41 or so and um and tanks rolling over the hills and um and the american army um, being you know parachuted into romania in 1944 and they were you know his his vision was, was different and and then um the outcome um, and the manifestation was better than anything he could have asked, prayed for, or imagined, because uh, God captured his heart. My grandfather got his Bible. It was, it was a different weapon. It was the weapon of truth, uh, the weapon of life. It was not a destructive weapon. It was a life-giving weapon and uh, the altar yeah. of the sword, right? The Word of God. And uh, here's something interesting. Now I'll make the connection. I'll answer your question. Um, or, or go to, to, to your question and answer the question. Um, a year later, my sister and I um, came to, to the U.S. I came first, and she followed them half a year later, actually, or a few months later. Um, I went, um, and I'm grateful for this. I applied to different uh, universities, Christian universities, and uh, Abilene Christian University in West Texas uh, accepted me as a student, and I'm grateful to my alma mater and the, um, the opportunity they provided.
0: The booming metropolis of Abilene, Texas.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's, I, t- I tell you what, it's. Uh, you know, for West Texas, it's a, it's a nice, dynamic town there and city. So, but that's right, two hundred thousand people or or so, and uh, three uh, three universities there: McMurray University, Hardin Simmons, and uh, and the larger of the three universities, Abilene Christian University. A great uh, flagship university for uh, Churches of Christ, and so it's a it's a it's a great uh, great institution of um, high academic standards and and most importantly uh, a great faith mission. So uh, so I came um, I came to uh, to the U.S. Um, I remember my parents had to borrow eight hundred dollars to pay for my one way plane ticket from. Bucharest to New York, from New York to Dallas, from Dallas to Abilene. Uh, we didn't have the the money, and they had to borrow. So I got my, my first job was in the school cafeteria and uh, saved the $800 during my first uh, semester, uh, my freshman year, and uh, to pay my uh, parents to, to be able to pay that, that loan. Um, when I left, uh, there was a missionary from Harding University, um, another sister school in um, Searcy uh, uh, Arkansas, and uh, Ken Davis. He was the music director for the university, and I remember him saying uh, before I left, the day before I left, "Andrew, do you have any money?" And I was like, "No, I don't." So he gave me fifty dollars, and uh, uh, I like to carry. Uh, Fifty dollar bill um, in my wallet to remind me of the humble beginnings. That's uh, that's what I had when I came to to the U.S. From and I remember. Point. I had. I,
0: re- I remember uh, you mm-hmm. showed me the fifty dollar bill when we were at Starbucks. You said I have it right now. I mean, I, <laughs> so folks, it's a real thing. He's not just saying that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I. Uh, so I use I used that fifty fifty dollars in the in the early early nineties. But yes, I like to, to just as a mnemonic device, I like to to, to carry that and remember um, Ken uh, and his uh, generous spirit, and most importantly, God's grace. So really, is it's just a reminder of God's grace um, to to be able to come to this great country with literally nothing. Right, fifty dollars. Right. And two yeah. suitcases, or one suitcase and a backpack, and uh, but most importantly, you asked me what I brought, and I told you I brought my grandfather's Bible. But that's a symbol, right? It's what well, is the word of God, but it's a it's a symbol for that gift of faith and the gift of God's grace. So that's what I brought with me, and um, so came came to Abilene Christian University, and uh, um, I met a family at church, and I said, listen, um, I. Can't afford to pay for a dorm or rent a, a, an apartment, but uh, if you would uh, be kind to uh, give me a roof over my head and the bed I can sleep on, I will. Uh, I'll clean your house and I will uh, help any way I can. So they were they were gracious to, to allow me that first uh, first semester, you know, this first few months when I was getting um, you know started to um, uh, to rent well to to have a room there, and I would. Vacuum their house and and do different chores to to compensate and to to bless them and to thank them. And uh, my first job was in the school cafeteria, making sandwiches and uh, cleaning dishes and uh, preparing meals for for the students. And uh, um, uh, I remember, um, you know, just just the the spirit of gratitude for for being able to earn. Um, Four dollars and twenty-five cents an hour, and that was the minimum pay, I guess, in the nineties. Um, and uh, being able to uh, to help my parents and to give back the, the money for for that that they uh, borrowed for the plane ticket and and more to to thank them and to bless them. And um, after my uh, freshman year, I went back to Romania on a mission trip, and um, I got to see my grandfather and. Um, um, you know, I, I do want to to make a correction, you asked me if I, uh, what I brought, and I mentioned I brought, I brought his Bible, actually, I, uh, that was not uh, accurate, I brought his Bible, but it was a year later, and I'll tell you now, so I went to, um, I went to Romania after my freshman year at Aberdeen Christian University, and I got to see my grandfather, and of course, he was, um, he, was he had his, the Bible he received, and he showed it to me, and he, he read it, cover to cover several times, and um, engaged in conversations, and it was uh, so exciting to see his uh, his own faith uh, growing and his prayer being answered, and for him to have met the Americans, and now for his uh, grandson to move to to the United States of America, you know, the country and the people that he has prayed for for 50 years, right? And we had we had some great conversations. It was very special. And, that's incredible uh, yeah yeah and and i said i said goodbye so i you know, my my grandfather lived lived in turgoviste right so that's about an hour and a half and uh, my uh, uh, my parents lived in uh, live in bucharest and i got to uh to go to uh, back to, to bucharest and and about a, a week later i heard uh, i got a phone call from a neighbor and they told me that uh uh, they, they shared the account of the day. They mentioned that my grandfather went early that morning, uh, that summer day in ninety-three. He went to the market. He bought some groceries. He walked. He never, he never owned a car. He, he always walked to, to the market and bought some groceries. And he came home um, that summer, uh, June or uh, July 1992, and uh, left the groceries in the house, and pulled a chair uh, on that patio, the same patio where he got the Bible a couple of years earlier from from the missionaries. And uh, he sat peacefully on that chair and uh, looking at the blue, cloudless Romanian sky in the summer, summer uh, day. And uh, peacefully, he dropped his head on his chest and with a final breath, he left this place for a better place. And... um, I can only imagine what my grandfather was was thinking and uh, but I'd like to to think that there is just great peace and satisfaction for his prayers.
0: Yeah, that's I'm, we could only yeah. uh, we could only hope that all of us go that way. That's peaceful. That's, peaceful. Yeah, peaceful on your front peaceful porch too. It's the place that you love. Uh,
1: <laughs> that's right that's right and you know what's really interesting the place he he loved and, and and god is so gracious because um one thing that communists uh the communist regime did they would confiscate people's houses and they would uh raise them down to the ground they would bulldoze them and then they would build those uh those high rises those apartments and um my grandfather his house was uh it was always next year next year okay next year we're going to bulldoze uh The houses on this street and build the high rises but it never happened so so my grandfather got to to live in in his house for for all those decades right uh while many of his friends in different parts of the city their houses were confiscated and the land was confiscated they bulldozed the houses were homes were bulldozed and they were moved forcefully into into high rises and small condos and apartments so that's right so he was in the place he loved um, and the very significant place, right? That patio where he got his first Bible, the place where he liked to to sit on that chair on the patio and, and scan the, the the blue cloudless Romanian sky and look for those American airplanes, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
0: uh,
1: and then uh, his prayers answered. Uh, both um, my sister and I came to America, and my, I mentioned I came in um, summer of 92, and then about Five months later, my sister came as well. She went to Oklahoma Christian uh, University, a sister school in Oklahoma, sister school to Abilene Christian University. So, that's incredible. Later, we, yeah, yeah. Um, a few a few days later, we had we had the funeral and uh, and uh, we paid our respect. And my mother asked me if I wanted any mementos from from my grandfather's. Uh, House, and I said uh, all I wanted was uh, the bible, that Bible, and then I clipped a rose from uh, from and I dried it in between the leaves uh, between the pages of the bible so that's all I, that's all I wanted, and uh, that's what I brought to, to the u s so just just a quick correction so i uh, I, I came to the u s in ninety two and then I went back to Romania for the mission trip got to to see Grandpa. Uh, one more time, just a few days before he passed away. And then uh, after the funeral, um, I, I was blessed to, to, to um, take that Bible as a steward and to bring it to, to the U.S. and share it with my sister and to cry together and celebrate his memory together. So, so I brought the Bible uh, in 1993, yeah, and I have it. And so it's one of my, my greatest uh, special uh, possessions. I treasure it and, his, and the memory that it represents.
0: Wow. That's an incredible story. I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. In the uh, interest of time, I'd love to jump on to another question um, and see what, what else we can get into here before our precious time is up. Um, I would love to know, you're, you're involved in quite a few things in your, in your life. Um, very busy man always being here and there and and doing different things um i'd love to know kind of what is (laughs) as much as this makes sense because you said professional and personal are just the same thing to you uh as far as two parts of your life go it's just you so what does a typical day in your world look like when you're uh interacting with businesses and people
1: we got to answer that mike allow me to to just really accelerate and and and, and And just uh, fast forward through through those those chapters at Abilene Christian to, into to where I am today, um, so I told you I, I, I started working in the cafeteria by the time I graduated. I was one of the uh, few teaching assistants at uh, for one of the business professors at this you know small private uh, university and um, and also launched with with this particular professor Don, Dr. Don Williams, launched a company. And that was, um, that was the, the, the start of, I guess you'd, you'd say, you know, uh, I guess if you want to call it professional career as an entrepreneur, right? And, um, and about the same time, um, some of my friends at Abilene Christian University and I, we, um, we got together and we realized how, how blessed we are and um, how rich we are just living in this country. And uh, and the resources that we have, and the access to to information and opportunities, and we decided to uh, form a uh, nonprofit organization called His Little Ones to help orphans in Romania. After five decades of communism in Romania, Romania ended up with a major social with a major tear in the social fabric of the country, uh, where there were over. Hundred thousand orphans in a in a country with only twenty two million people, right? So that's a very high number of of orphans, abandoned children. And, no kidding! Um, wow. Yes, yes, I'm 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 glad to inform that today, um, twenty years later, that that number is slashed in half. So there are only about fifty thousand. Still, still too many orphans. Uh, but things are improving dramatically. So anyway, so we, um, uh, we planted the seeds for, uh, for, for forming this nonprofit called His Little Ones. And, and the seeds came to fruition in uh, in 2001 when we officially incorporated and, and launched uh, various programs and started sponsoring different orphanages there um, but anyway i think I think it's 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 significant to share this because um what I do during my uh, uh, r- regular day is it's a blend of of business and philanthropy and uh, uh my uh, my philosophy and my outlook on on business is that business and success in the marketplaces should never be an end in itself but rather means the greater ends. Um, and uh, I, uh, yeah, I view I view business as as a means, as a, as a way to to make this world a better place and to um, advance the kingdom of God and and to impact lives for better, whether it's uh, orphanages um, in Romania or the homeless and prison ministries here in Austin.
0: Yeah. I, I, uh, that was something I mentioned in your introduction was just that everything that you do is kind of like, a if I could put it one way, it's, it's a thread that's part of a rope that's pulling something greater along. So it's, you know, each of the little endeavors mm-hmm. that you're a part of, which some are greater than others. I'm not trying to belittle those by any means, but the, the picture I'm trying to paint is that, uh, a typical rope. That we may consider to be really strong is actually made up of many different fibers. So in your case, those fibers are all the endeavors that you're a part of. Um, Sometimes they're bigger, sometimes they're smaller, but they all braid together to make a rope that is actually a very strong um, thing that you're pulling along a greater mission uh, to introduce the world to. Uh, and I, I think that's incredible, especially the the orphanage to me personally is the most impactful thing that I, I know about that you do, um, especially having a family member who's adopted three children and seeing the impact that that's had in those kids' lives, as well as my sister's family as a whole. They have two biological kids and three adopted kids, and it, it's incredible to watch um, how that story unfolds. So to know that your efforts with his little ones has impacted that many kids is incredible. Uh, and I know it's you uh, along with a few others, but to know that all together y- y'all are, are, I don't know, pursuing that um, impact is, is a pretty amazing thing.
1: Yes, uh, indeed. I don't know this about your sister. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, we've, we've impacted a few hundred kids. Um, at, I think back in the, um i think last decade uh, i think the peak was about 200 kids in those four orphanages and uh, but um yeah just making a difference in the life of one child it's um, and changing that child's life forever for the better it's 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 a success and it's a it's a great success in itself
0: yeah what with all the different things you're involved in i'd love to kind of break down in the context of how you view them, um, what got you into these different ventures, for example, uh, with real estate investing and, and, uh, development and that sort of thing, what got you your foot in that door, if you will, and how does that intertwine into the bigger picture of what you're trying to promote?
1: Yes, that's, um, that's a very good question. Um, uh, I tell you what in two thousand thirteen I was on a sabbatical I, uh and and maybe on a future podcast maybe we'll have an uh, an opportunity to share more of my my testimonial but um, we don 't have the time to, to dive into that now so i 'll just tell you this in twenty thirteen i was I was on a sabbatical and taking a few months off and just uh spending Time um, some traveling and reflecting and, and, and asking the Lord to, to guide me and to uh, bring the right opportunities um, where I can employ my God given gifts and talents uh, to, to make a positive impact. And, um, and I remember uh, talking to one of my best friends, uh, her name is Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer Whitley, she and I went to college together at Christian University. We were both accounting majors there, and I remember doing homework together and encouraging each other in, in uh, uh, business and ministry and scholastic uh, achievements, and just a good, good dear friend, one of my best friends. And um, at the time, in 2013, she was the CFO of a uh, oil and gas company, and um, they were uh, raising... Uh, Uh, $10 million for uh, exploration in uh, Far East um, Asia. And uh, uh, she told me, it's like, hey, um, uh, we're networking. We're um, uh, getting in touch with different uh, people who could uh, be potentially involved in this uh, capital raise. And uh, do you you have any recommendations, any suggestions? So I uh, put her in touch with some folks that I thought might... uh, I want to invest. And, uh, this was, uh, I don't remember exactly when, but sometime in 2013. And I remember that the conversations were progressing and, uh, and now I'm, I'm not actively managing or ushering the, the, the players or the purpose, the process. I'm, I just made an introduction and just let them run with it. And, uh, I remember in, um, In the summer of 2013, I became friends with Wes Walters, who uh, owns a dynamic and successful realty uh, firm here in Austin. And I started attending his uh, Bible study, and every Wednesday morning, he hosts a Bible study in his office. So... um, I started attending the the Bible study, and he would uh, he would ask me, he's like, Andre, you're on a sabbatical. You know, why don't you just join me and uh, start working with me here? And I was like, no, Wes, thank you. I'm honored. Uh, but um, I don't think I I want to to do that. And um, he said, man, I think we'll make a great team. Why don't you join me? And uh, he also said, uh, by the way, I'm selling this uh, – office building it's 10 million dollar uh, asset 10 million dollar uh sell price and i was like wes why do you tell me this i you know I, I don't know anything about real estate and i don't know might be interested in this and and then i just forgot about that uh, but now remember i uh, my i made an introduction to those potential investors um in asia for for my friend jennifer and uh, she was raising $10 million for her oil and gas, for the exploration, that the oil and gas explorations that they were doing in Far East, in the Far East uh, Asia. And um, um, a few months later in December, I remember uh, hopping on a call. The, was This was supposed to be the grand finale this was the day they were supposed to sign and make their investment official the 10 million dollar investment and to everyone's surprise on this uh, international phone call teleconference those particular investors they pulled out of the deal and i told jennifer man i'm so sorry this is very disappointing once again i just made the introduction i was there for moral support and just to affirm the parties and um and jennifer of course was, was disappointed and uh uh, and then we said well uh, we'll just trust the Lord that all things work out for good and um, um, we're not going to worry about it so as I was getting ready to to hang up uh, those particular investors said hey wait uh, aren't you from Austin, Texas I was like yes I am and this was an international call so my friend Jennifer was in Houston I was in Austin and those particular parties uh, across the ocean and uh, I said yes I am why, why do you ask well we would like to take this $10 million and instead of investing in the oil and gas, we would like to invest in real estate. So I said, well, what do you know? Actually, I know of a guy who's got this $10 million office building that's for sale. So I made that introduction and uh, this was in December of 2013. Well, I continued to attend. I made the introduction to Wes and I continued to attend his Bible study. And then a few months later, he told me, Andre, this was, I think by now it's May, 2014. I said, Andre, uh, we're under a contract. Those guys have, uh, have submitted an official formal purchase contract to acquire this asset for $10 million. Um, I thank you so very much. And I would like you to join me once you get your, uh, real estate license and join me. And, um, a few months later I did. So, and then a few months after that, we closed on the deal. And, uh, that was my first, uh, uh, first real estate deal, if you will. And that's how I got into real estate. It was, uh, God's guidance and grace. And, uh, I was helping my friend, Jennifer, um, uh, didn't have any expectation of, of compensation. I just, just wanted to, um, to bless her and to encourage her and to help her in her endeavor. And, um, uh, uh, we don't work out for for that particular venture, but it's amazing how uh, how this opened up an opportunity for me to enter in the world of real estate. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, uh, that I do believe, and I believed, and I believe the words that I quoted to my friend Jennifer that Romans eight twenty eight all things work out for good and the good of those who love the Lord and who have been called and predestined according to His purposes. Shortly after that, um, the, uh, her company, that oil and gas company, they were able to pivot and uh, and reposition themselves, and um, and everything was was fine for them. And then um, later, she she was also able to transition and become the CFO of a uh, top law firm in Washington D.C. So it was a great career move for her, and uh, you know, so everything worked out just fine for for my friend Jennifer. Yeah. And, and, and I love everybody. D.C. by so, the way.
0: It's like a second home to me. My uncle still lives up there, but.
1: Oh, how about that? that? That's incredible. I think
0: you've told me that story before, but for the sake of everybody else listening, um, it it is incredible to know after the fact, you know, hindsight 2020, uh, how everything fell into place for you. But in the moment, it definitely didn't feel like that. (laughs) And I I feel like uh, many people are going to look back literally on 2020 and feel the same way of how everything feels disassembled and it's all falling apart and things are literally burning in California or in our own lives, or in my case, a house is flooding. But to just hold on because it will work out. It will be okay. It will come to fruition, uh, just like your story just explained.
1: Exactly. I I believe that. And uh, my faith informs that outlook on on life and on events. And uh, it's true. Um, In the moment, uh, when you're dealing with challenges and uh, quote unquote setbacks, it um, it's 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 maybe challenging to to believe that and to speak that, but I think that's the opportunity for us to, to hold on to to the truth and to the principle and to the truth of God's word and to speak it, believe it and speak it. Um, don't let the the circumstances uh, or the vicissitudes or the challenges and the storms of life dictate. Um, your emotions and how you um, and, and your, your shalom, your peace, let the word of God and his promises dictate and shape that. And, and when you look back, you, you'll, you'll see just that that somehow, miraculously, by God's grace, even the challenges work out for our good. And some, sometimes the greater the, perhaps always actually, always the greater the trial, the greater the triumph. And the greater the, the challenge, the, the greater the the victory. So I believe that with all my heart.
0: That's great. I even actually just made a, a video yesterday about uh, the title was People are Gushers, and sometimes you're one flavor on the outside, but another flavor on the inside. You just don't know until you get squeezed. And m- the metaphor there is that, like you're saying, the greater the trial, the greater the triumph. You won't know triumph until you, you face adversity, until you face that trial. And so the encouragement there is, don't take the trial as something that's going to crush you, but it's something that's going to grow you and you'll find out what's on the inside. I've actually told somebody before it may have been my wife. I I don't remember who it was, uh, but I said, I I feel like God lets us go through really crappy times, not so that he can see what's on our inside, but so that we can see what's on our inside because when pressure is applied, we don't always know how we're going to respond. Even in, in the military, they have to train that into navy seals army rangers they put them in high stress environments so that when they actually are in a life or death situation they can still operate effectively and on a much smaller scale we daily live uh, lives where we face little obstacles maybe something breaks or something doesn't go as planned Um, but how we respond to those will show the growth opportunity that we could potentially have um speaking of obstacles yes I really am interested in this. Uh, This is a question I don't want to miss because the impact that his little ones has had is tremendous and it will continue to have impact. But in an unintentional segue that is just perfect, uh, in the same line of obstacles that you have faced, that I faced, that other people have faced, what obstacles did you face when trying to set up his little ones in Romania when... You're, if I'm understanding correctly, you were still back here in the United States and it was a joint venture. So what kind of obstacles did you face when trying to even set that up?
1: Well, um, I think the, the – op- I don't think there are um, obstacles in, in, in launching that nonprofit. Um, if,
0: Not if even in getting a is- building or anything like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that here in a, in a, in a minute, but I think when the why is strong um, and it's clear, then the how, the what, the when, you know, they just fall in place. So it was a, it was a burning and it needs to be a burning passion in our hearts to make a difference, to impact lives and children's lives for the better. And, um, and um, we, our hearts were committed to that. And I, firmly believe that uh, the the how and the what and the when and the method and the process and the means and all those things they they will manifest and they will become a reality when that uh, that why and the, the reason and the, um, the 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 drive and the, the calling are are clear and uh, and vibrant then everything else falls in place just just perfectly um I think the the challenge was um, there was a challenge that when we incorporated in two thousand and one this nonprofit and by the way I, th- I think it's worth mentioning I after I graduated I moved um, um, got my undergrad and then masters um, in communications there at Abilene Christian University and then I moved to Austin and uh, and uh, I was um, just arrived in Austin I was. Um, just sleeping on a on a friend's couch here, uh, college friend, and you know, just trying to to figure out um, and um, and get some direction. You know, just just came came here back, and that was in two thousand and one or so, and um, met the family at church, and they said, "Man, you know, um, we've always you're from Romania, and we've always wanted to." Uh, um, to um, To help orphanages there, and then I told them about the work that we already started doing, uh, helping people in Abilene, Texas um, to um, um, translate letters with officials in Romania and helping them uh, with uh, housing when they went to Romania so they can uh, um, they were adopting uh, Romanian children and that was in the '90s. And uh, how we wanted to to formalize this this philanthropic work and and launch a, um, you know just a more uh, formal ministry initiative, and they said, well, we would we would love to to help you. And so, as a matter of fact, you know, just won't you just while you're getting started here in Austin, and do uh, not you just live with us, and um, and we'll uh, we'll help you start this nonprofit. So just a very uh, wonderful family. They're my. Uh, my spiritual parents, and I call them my Texas uh, mom and dad, Dwight and Linda Forrester. Wonderful people. They are uh, uh, very successful. They own the largest uh, aftermarket automotive company in the country, uh, Roadwire, uh, just a great, great company. And uh, their son, uh, Aaron Forrester is now their CEO. And, uh, but uh, his father, Dwight and uh, his grandfather, uh, they started this company back in, in the sixties. Anyway, they, uh, um, they were just a great inspiration for me. Just, just seeing how they themselves use their success in the marketplace, not just as an end in itself, but as a means to greater purposes to advance the kingdom of God. And uh, they invited me come and live with us in beautiful estate to have here outside Austin. And and spend a few months with them, and they—they're the ones who help me launch uh, the nonprofit uh, back in 2001. So, so in a way, there were no obstacles, uh, and you know, the opposite—they were just uh, just God's grace and um, accelerating this. I guess the quote-unquote obstacle or surprise is that we we want to help facilitate adoptions and help families be able to adopt children. Uh, American families adopt children from Romania. But in 2001, Romania shut down all international adoptions. So, and to this day, it's impossible to, to facilitate an international adoption. So that, I guess you could say that was a setback. But once again, um, those, those setbacks become stepping stones and opportunities for, for new things. And uh, we said, well, if we can't facilitate actual adoptions, how about we adopt an entire orphanage? And that's what we did. We adopted an entire orphanage and then a second one and then a third and a fourth. And uh, yeah, for 10 years or so or 15 years, we we sponsored about 200 kids a year with Christmas gifts and Easter and um, school uh, supplies and, and medical and any anything they needed if they needed a, a new air conditioning or... Um, a new printer or whatever. Um, I think well, I think those of us here, in,
0: I think those of us here in Texas definitely appreciate a new air conditioning. <laughs> 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 that's right. Mine that's went right. out and recently, and really I- hot. And, and I'm just like, man, I I would very much appreciate it if somebody just said, here's a brand new AC unit for you. I'd be That's in tears. Funny.
1: That's right. And it, it gets very hot in the summertime. So, yes, they appreciate it. They're just as much. I tell you what. It gets cold in the winter and it's temperate climates, So, cold, cold winters and hot, hot summers. And then there's perfect um, shoulder seasons, right, when you have perfect temperature and it's- balmy and pleasant in the fall and the spring but one one thing i want to share you know it's interesting we talked about crisis and obstacles i i I want to share this Um, the chinese have a a richer meaning for the word crisis and uh, that's that's the word opportunity right so crisis and opportunity you know they they look at crisis and and as opportunity so I, i like that definition of the word crisis and translate that as opportunity so you're going through a crisis actually going through an opportunity there's an opportunity for something new in greek the word crisis crisis means turning point you know so i like that translation as well right when you look at crisis or obstacles as turning point i think this is very important what i'm sharing here because as as entrepreneurs and 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 we're all called in a way to be entrepreneurial and whatever the profession whether it's a nine-to-five job or a five-to-nine job right uh, whatever that is, right? We're called to be creative and entrepreneurs. We're designed, not just called, but I, I believe that being made in the likeness of God, right? God is the creator, and we're made in His likeness. So I guess you could say we're little see creators, right? So He is the capital C creator, and we're inspired, and with the Holy Spirit, we're little C creators, right? So we have that that genius spark, that creative spark in us, whether it's in medicine or teaching or Um, social media podcast, you know, that, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know, whatever, you know, whatever that calling is, or in the marketplace, right? Launching a new business or a nonprofit, just being creative and birthing new things and new ideas and bringing together resources, people and orchestrating beautiful creations, right? Whatever it is, artistic or entrepreneurial or business or in science, right? So we're called to be creative. You know, so Chris's turning point, crisis as opportunity, right? And then my favorite word comes from Hebrew, bear. Mash bear. It's the Hebrew word for crisis, but it's the same word they use back in, in, in ancient times to describe the birthing stool, right? So mashber, M-A-S-H-B-E-R, bear. So that's, that's the word for crisis, but also that's the word to describe the birthing stool, right? So the donut shape chair, right, that the expectant mother would sit, right, before she would give birth. And then you have the midwives with, with their hands underneath that donut-shaped chair, right, catching the baby, right, as it would be aided by the force of gravity, right, the mother would be sitting on that toilet-like, right, seat, and, and the, mo- the midwives would catch the baby. That chair, it's called the chair of crisis, mash bear. It's also the chair of new life, right, so crisis is equated with new life, with new beginning. This is a beautiful, strong metaphor. And it's very interesting how language shapes, right, shapes our, our lives. And the way we view words and events, right, through, through the filters and the lenses of language, they dictate how we respond. So when you look at crisis as a, as a turning point or opportunity, or even better, as a birthing stool, right, this is the birthing chair, is the chair of new life. New light, right? The baby and the mother is going through that crisis, through that painful experience of transition, right? To bring the baby to to life, to light, right? And uh, it's beautiful. New life, new light is the cheer of crisis. Crisis is a turning point. It's an opportunity, an opportunity to what? For new life and new light.
0: Yeah, I would say crisis is an unexpected opportunity. Just a mild twist on it, but... We, we tend to get approached with something suddenly, and we call it a crisis, but I, I agree with you that it is an opportunity. Um, and even <laughs> when, so the house flooding, just a quick side note, when we, uh, when this last time, the day we were supposed to move out because of the original, um, let's call it claim number one from the washing machine. Uh, the day we were supposed to move out, I walked to my closet and stepped in a big puddle. Uh, And that was claim number two. Turns out, much more extensive damage. Well, this is the third and fourth time that we've had flooding in our house. And I remember the second time we had our house flood. Uh, Again, you may have called it a crisis. Somebody may have said, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Uh, Even Elizabeth started tearing up when she realized that there was water all under our laminate floors in the living room. And I looked at her and I just laughed and I said, well, you've been wanting new floors. So I guess this is how we're getting them. And so, <laughs> so in the same way, you know, crisis is an opportunity. I, I would say sure, it's an unexpected opportunity, um, which ironically now we're having those floors also replaced yet again. So <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so it's just how, you know, how you frame it. Even our entire kitchen has been taken apart. All the cabinets have been removed on the bottom part. Uh, our island or well, I guess it's more of like a bar, not an Island has been removed. And the, uh, the lady doing supervising the whole demolition and mitigation aspect, she said, well, if you've ever want your, wanted your kitchen remodeled, now would probably be the time to do it. Cause we already just took everything <laughs> apart. So again, you know, unexpected opportunity, just going to Elizabeth saying, Hey, I thought you wanted an Island with like a butcher block on the, on the top. And she goes, Oh my gosh, could we do that? I said, well, there's nothing in our kitchen currently. So why not? Let's, <laughs> let's make it fun. Time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you, yeah, have any, do you have any ideas how many children have been adopted since his little ones began? And I know you made the caveat of you had a setback. <laughs> I would call it a, an obstacle, but you overcame it, uh, of the closing the borders to international adoption from Romania. Do you have any ideas prior to that or since then that you've – what his little ones has facilitated in adoptions?
1: Uh, so um, – we we didn't right so we we officially formed in two thousand and one uh, and I mean I'm telling oh, you that, gotcha. the law changed that the law changed as as we were incorporating so we had to re- adapt our bylaws and say and well well we adopt an orphanage and we sponsor right so adopt in the sense of sponsoring and partnering with orphanages so um, but prior to that informally my parents myself we would we just help translate letters right so you had all those doctors and attorneys and business folks you know they 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 had the the ability they they wanted to have to adopt children so they you know that's i guess that was the Um, the population or there, there are at least 10 families in Abilene and uh, there was a doctor there who was spearheading a lot of that initiative. They adopted a a baby and then their friends and, and uh, they knew that there was a Romanian student at Abilene Christian University. So I became the de facto translator and, uh, and uh, just helping, you know, informally uh, with that. Uh, So, so uh, there there were and are many other nonprofits that prior to two thousand and one, I know they facilitated and helped facilitate um, I'm sure hundreds, maybe even thousands of adoptions, but at least hundreds of adoptions. And and also Romania itself has um, has made some tremendous with with the help of NGOs and NPOs and nonprofit and ministries they've they made amazing progress I, I mentioned that there are now less than fifty thousand orphans uh, so after twenty five years you know so that that vicious cycle has been reversed and, um, and those numbers are are uh, decreasing so that's that's wonderful that's wonderful progress so Romania is also moving into a foster care. Uh, towards the foster care system, so uh, they're closing down orphanages actually, and they're transitioning to to foster care uh, homes, and uh, and also so there are uh, domestic adoptions taking place. So Romanians in Romania are able to adopt and. Uh, we are um partnering with a local coalition of nonprofits and uh, providing um, support as they um, work with families in Romania adopting so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's wow. a wonderful uh, it's a, yeah it's it's wonderful to to hear the success stories and 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 we're we're not uh, as closely involved in the in the processes we're more of a macro level um uh, right, we we provide logistics, provide resources, and um, you know we exchange best practices and um, those those type of um, um, you know micro level uh, initiatives. Yeah,
0: gotcha. And I, I apologize, I yeah. kind of missed the the timeline there. I thought y'all had started prior to that law change, so that's my fault for not picking up no, on that timeline. No, no, I mean just informally, just yeah.
1: helping, helping support all, uh, just providing, uh, you know, just translations, just translating for letters and those type of things. And uh, my parents hosting those those families when they would write, they would come for for an adoption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a, well, I guess you would say, indirect support and just a logistical.
0: Yeah. Well, Andre, um, I'm going to leave a. a a long pause here just for a second. Just bear with me. Okay. I'm going to pause the actual. Rep- can you give me, can you give me a, a minute as well? All right. Well, it, Andre, I, I, um, wanted to jump to the last part of this, just the, uh, I know you're involved in multiple things. You have this, the, this just side note, this was something that I couldn't find a lot of information on, but it seems maybe that it's just that simple. Uh, it's a microfinance program called Live Oak microfinance. And I'd, I'd love to hear from you just kind of, where did that idea come from? Cause thus far you've only mentioned it maybe once or twice in passing, but I'd love to know where that idea came from. And then how does that directly impact and help former inmates? I mean, I, I may have an understanding of that, but I would love for you to explain to those listening.
1: Yeah. So, um, I, in, uh, in 2011, I met this young lady, I actually started dating her and, uh, we quoted for a few months and we decided to go separate ways. We, uh, we maintained a friendship and, um, and through, through her, I met her parents, uh, Mark and, uh, Fran Patterson. And, uh, so this was nine years ago, right? Uh, eight, nine years ago. And, um, I became friends with her parents so the young lady and i we went separate ways um, and said goodbye just remain friends but i developed a great friendship with mark her father and um, i consider him one of my closest friends and i was really inspired by him as throughout throughout the years just listening to his life story and he also is in the world of real estate and does investments and uh, brokers real estate deals, and, uh, more on the residential side. And uh, but one one thing that stood out was the way he integrates uh, faith and uh, and and work, and um, uh, or, or rather the fact that he does not artificially uh, distinguish or differentiate that faith is. Uh, foundational for his work and informs his work and his uh, his professional career, and um, one one thing that that is central in his life is this ministry that he helped start decades ago called. Freedom Church is a, a nonprofit. It's a church and it's a faith-based nonprofit that helps uh, inmates. And uh, Freedom Church uh, is a prison ministry. And um, and he asked me if I wanted to to come and speak at his uh, Sunday services. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to meet in the last few months, as as you can imagine, with uh, with the COVID restrictions. Uh, but from 2012 uh, to to this year, um, I attended his uh, church services once a month. He, he and the teams that he's put together—they meet every uh, Sunday, right? And one Sunday a month, actually, my friends and I, we we would lead the worship and uh, and uh, the sermon and the communion, the Lord's supper, and everything. Uh, one Sunday a month, we did that from 2012 through 2020 uh, till march right when when there was a stop on um you know just restrictions on worship and uh, those public worship and stuff so anyway um and early on um i i realized that um while the the spiritual emphasis and the, and bringing people to christ and telling them about jesus and sharing the love of christ is the most important thing is the ultimate and the most important thing um at the same time I uh, uh, with with my business background and with my entrepreneurial energies, I told, uh, I asked Mark, "Is like, what do you think if we form an, a uh, microfinance program to actually help those folks economically as well to get integrated in the economic stream of the of society and, and as they get out of of, of prison?" And, and Mark was extremely supportive and said, "Absolutely, Andre, let's let's do it." So um, so back in 2012, I launched Live Oak microfinance program it's it 's very simple it 's very uh, straightforward um, We provide interest free loans to um, to former inmates who um, get uh, out and they are looking to uh, relaunch their, their lives, their careers, finding a job, and, and all those things. So, first of all, Freedom Church helps with uh, pointing them to Christ, and and many of them are baptized, and they, they start attending church, and their lives are are transformed um, miraculously and beautifully by the power of God's grace and the Holy Spirit in their lives. And then Live Oak Microfinance provides, um, I guess you'd, you'd say, resources and um, encouragement as they get integrated in the economic uh, stream and uh, um, during the last seven years or so we've we've helped relatively speaking a large number of people um every every year 10 you know tens of people either putting them in touch with different uh, business owners so they can find employment or sponsoring their um, their equipment or boots or we even provided a few cars used cars you know trucks and those type of things and cell phones or whatever they need for for their work and it's it's wonderful um we we at, at first we, we thought let's just let's just gift those things and give give the, the the money or just donate the the car and then we said you know let's let's make it um and and sometimes it worked but sometimes it didn't you know so um we discovered that it was better if people had that sense, sense of ownership and and they gave them more fulfillment if it was provided as a as a loan where they they had to pay it back with zero interest as a matter of fact we would and we forgive the the, the last uh, few payments so you could say it was negative interest they were making money on that right so they would would give two thousand dollars to help them sponsor right to, to get a vehicle to get their work boots to get whatever they needed for for a, a construction job or a, a lawn mowing business or whatever and um, and then if they kept up with the payments, uh, then we would say, you know what, um, you're you're established, you're doing great. Uh, we'll forgive the last few payments. So that's why we call it uh, uh, microfinancing, right? A microfinancing program. So that's it. It's it's very simple. Wow. And it's it's
0: very rewarding. <laughs> very simple. Yeah. Straightforward. Yeah.
1: That's it. Yeah. Yeah. We vet we vet them. We would interview them. We provide the the coaching. The the uh, the encouragement, the moral support, the spiritual support, and um, yeah, and you know, some sometimes they would succeed, and, and you know, sometimes some some didn't succeed, but we tried, and we never had had any regret. Uh, the fact that when I say didn't succeed, they were unable to pay their loans back, and that's uh, that's fine. We of course we forgive that, and. We bless them and wish them best, but you know uh, we're very encouraged to see the ones who succeed and then we we kept you know uh, helping them build their their some of them startups and there was a guy Elijah is his name he started a lawn mowing business, so it was so exciting to to see him He got a job uh, part time job building cabinets, and then he launches a uh, mowing uh, yard care business and uh we got him a lawnmower, we got him a truck, and uh, so exciting to, to see him. A few years later, That's he got cool. married, has a family, and wow. has a driving business.
0: That's fantastic. Do you ever work with uh, Jail to Jobs?
1: I I know those folks, um, and uh, I uh, I think they're doing great work. Yeah, yeah, we, we know each other. Yeah, Carrie and uh, Kim, right? Or Kim, um, Chris I, or, I know of
0: Eddie Franz uh, I know that Eddie works with them quite a bit and it was just it sounds like there's even a potential of like in tandem work you know if, if somebody doesn't have the right equipment to go to a job or something I don't know we can would, talk about I would that like, offline I but, would
1: like yeah, yeah I would like to I would, yeah and and we've we've partnered with um, um, Goodwill uh, Central Texas uh, Goodwill, and uh, they they do an amazing work, you know, providing second chances and new opportunities for for those folks. and you know, providing employment for them and classes and education. So, there's some great ministries and yeah. NGOs and NPOs out there who do this. So, yeah, it's 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 wonderful work, and um, yeah, it's I cannot tell you how how rewarding it is to see uh, somebody whose life was in the pits, right, and they're addicted to. Uh, drugs and they just got out of prison and they find jesus and jesus finds them and their lives are transformed and they're sober and um and they uh yeah they they start a new career they get a new job they launch their own enterprise as contractors construction or um, different different things and uh, see them flourish it's so rewarding it's it's awesome
0: of course, I bet it is. I mean, seeing somebody have their life turn around like that, especially the one you just mentioned of he's started a business, has a family, has kids, all that. I mean, what a great second chance story.: um,
1: Exactly, that's, that's Elijah. and then we have Mac Gregory, another another great success story, and his wife, Jennifer, they both uh, spent time in prison and they, uh, they got out, they met, they, um, they joined the church, uh, he launched his own business, she's back in school for a master's. Uh, <clears throat> uh yeah it's 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 so beautiful and uh it's 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 exciting they they used to um to sleep in a tent in um under a bridge and now they have an apartment and um, they attend um, uh, freedom church on a regular basis and uh, it's. I cannot tell you how how exciting. It's so beautiful. It fills your heart with joy, you know. And to me, it's really exciting because it's that perfect intersection of entrepreneurship and business, right? And and faith, right? Faith is the foundation, and then you know the expression of uh, of creativity and in, in in business, you know. And that intersection is just very stimulating to me. So,
0: I, I think that might be the most excited you've gotten in this interview, uh, as, talking about that. So I can tell that it excites you not, not to say that the other stories that you've told were somber and very meaningful to you, but, um, I I could tell the excitement and what you were just saying about everything. I would love to kind of wrap things up with our, our time coming to a close. Um, I always like to end with some encouragement, which I know you are great at. So would love to hear what encouragement you would give to those listening, whether it's those facing those obstacles uh, and and viewing them instead as opportunities or uh, people with dreams that are in line with what you're doing, where they want to help others, but they're not sure how, but would just love to know what kind of encouragement would you give to people listening?
1: Just listen to Micah Brown's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I paid him to
0: say that, guys. Paid him to say that.
1: <laughs> well, uh, well, that, that's a that's a great, great, uh, great question, Micah. And you know, you're talking about the excitement and enthusiasm, and and I'm in you know, all the stories that I've shared. They're foundational. They're the core. They're they're the 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 foundation that led to to you know to where I am today and being able to. Um, to manifest my my God-given gifts and talents in, in in the marketplace for God's glory and for His purposes, and um, and yes, they um, they're the the foundation. And um, there's not greater, and this is part of the encouragement. There's not a, uh, a greater joy, and um, nothing more exciting than than to follow your heart and to walk in your calling the God-given calling and to use your God-given talents and meaningful and creative and uh, purposeful ways uh, to, to make a difference and to change this world for the better, for God's glory, by his mercy and grace, for his glory and praise. So uh, I guess the word of encouragement is follow your heart. And that's what you're doing. Um, earlier before this interview, I was, I was affirming and encouraging you and affirming you that you are following your heart, Micah, and you're pursuing the passion, your God-given passion and calling to connect with people to uh, to listen to to their stories, to broadcast the stories, to assimilate and synthesize and catalog the stories so you can share them with others. and And um, there's nothing nothing more exciting. Follow your heart. Follow your God given. Uh, uh, calling and purpose, and use your God given talents uh, in meaningful, powerful, creative ways to, to make a difference in this world for the better, for God's glory. And uh, I would I would like to to uh, to share this blessing with you and whoever will uh, listen to this podcast. And this blessing comes from Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. May the love of God the unconditional, never-ending love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the unmerited favor of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the joyous, peaceful, healing fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always, today and tomorrow, always and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for that, Andre. I really appreciate that. I appreciate you being on this podcast, and thank you for being a guest and sharing with us your life, uh, obstacles that are opportunities, how those opportunities have uh, played out in your life, and um, I really appreciate your encouragement. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Micah. Thank you for the opportunity. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the MVP show today. Uh, I I'd had a great time talking with Andre Duda. He has an extraordinary life. And even in his stories, I don't think he gave the full details of what um, has transpired throughout his life and the ups and downs. But nonetheless, I hope that there was something said in his stories that you could relate to and connect with, whether it's his upbringing or. Um, whether it was with his grandpa his parents missionaries moving to the states he has both his masters and his phd and so he's a highly educated person but you can tell he's he's not ever going to talk about that very humble guy that as we now know he got that from his grandparents and watching the way they lived their lives you can also tell from the way that he speaks he is very um open about his faith and uh i hope that Many of you found that encouraging. Um, He also uses that as a driving factor to be the positive change, the positive impact in the world that he interacts with. So if you want to connect with Andre, uh, some great ways to do that are to go to his website, andreduda.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-I-D-U-T-A.com. He's also got websites for the other three different things that he's been a part of, um, actually just two things that he's been a part of the, his little ones and the live Oak microfinance program. If you want to support his little ones, you could go to www.hislittleones.org. Uh, you could also for the live Oak microfinance program, go to freedomchurchaustin.org forward slash live Oak. That's L I V E O A K. Um, Again, if, if you don't remember all those, just go to his website, andredudo.com, and he has links to everything he's involved in from there. So uh, I hope that you're encouraged by all this. Finally, if you liked this episode, if you like other episodes that I do, uh, different interviews of just being a meg- megaphone for other people promoting what they're doing in their lives, regular people um, just doing amazing things, I would ask that you go to audibletrial.com forward slash MBP and support yourself. Um, there are books that we've mentioned on this podcast, many books actually, and I would love for you to support yourself. Uh, nothing better than to to read some great books and, and increase your own knowledge base. Other than that, I know it's getting hot. It's summertime while we're recording this. I'd love for you to get some Thelma's treats. I actually saw at HEB the other day, they're doing a two for $5, which is... Um, A nice little discount if you grab that coupon. But there's nothing better than a hot day with a nice cold treat. Personal favorite is the peanut butter and chocolate chip. But I'd love for you to stay stay cool, stay hungry, stay happy, eat some Thelmas. That's all I got for you. Y'all take care.